Shut up and sit down. When the Wind Blows is an education-inspired podcast bringing innovation to professional development. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. I'm Erin Barnes, host of the show, and today I have Shelly Hickman as my co-host, and we're talking about just the misconceptions and myths that revolve around Epic. And Shelly, uh, I've listed a few, I'm sure you you saw in the show notes, um, but we've got a lot of myths and misconceptions that run around uh, our school. That's absolutely true. And, 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 and several um, that have materialized just in the last couple of weeks with the enrollment surge. Um, so yes, I mean, everything from if you enroll your student at Epic, all of your local taxpayer dollars are going to leave your community, which is not true, to our students can't participate in career tech, which is not true, um, or that if you, um, if for some reason you figure out that maybe Epic is not for you and you want to return back to that your, your, your regular school district, that you would be forbidden to do that, which is not true. That would be against the law. So yeah, I mean, there's been a ton out there the last couple of weeks and, um, we've just been trying to do our best to dispel those myths and get the truth out there. Well, before we get too far in, what is your story in education? How did you come to education and then how did you come to Epic? Well, I came to education purely by accident, to be honest with you. And it was about 25 years ago, um, actually 26 years ago, um, I was, I had been a, a journalism and political science major and I had spent some time as a, as a reporter and then um, I was in public relations and at the time in public relations in Alabama and I was moving back to my home state of Oklahoma and a, uh, a friend, a, a family member and a friend said that a friend of hers was Sandy Garrett, who was the state superintendent of instruction at the time. And they had recently been at a a cocktail party or something, and she was looking for somebody to join her communications team. And with me being a a journalism poli-sci major working in public relations, my family member thought, hey, you should apply for that. That would be a good job for you. And I did. And I got the job. And um, I thought it was, to be honest with you, maybe a job I would just have for a couple of years. I, I didn't see myself doing education communications for the rest of my life, but um, I got bit and loved it and uh, didn't see myself doing any other type of work. And um, over the years, it became important to me to have the same type of education background and credentials as the educators that I was working with. So I, I went back and got my master's degree in education and um, recently took the superintendent's exam so I could get certified. Um, and so that, that's my story. I, I, I didn't see myself doing this, but I love it. I love that what we do is fundamentally about trying to transform the lives of children and the families and the communities that they reside in. And I just don't think that there's a more noble calling. I totally agree. I think it's, it's, incredibly easy for people who look inside, you know, from the outside, uh, thinking, Oh my gosh, I couldn't work with kids. But once you get in here, uh, 
it's incredibly easy to find your passion in these kiddos. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I suggested this topic because I had seen David Cheney, who's one of our co-founders, posted on his Facebook earlier this week, you know, this massive post where he's defending himself and he didn't say the words that people were putting in his mouth. And then, you know, Ben Harris put out a video uh, earlier this week kind of addressing teachers and and even families, like telling them to keep your chin up. Um, People are, I think people post things about us without having done their due diligence. They, They don't know who we are, what laws we abide by, how our laws are different from other laws. I mean, I mean, not ours, but how our charter in our school operates under different guidelines than other schools. And so they just throw a blanket on us and say, you're wrong. Uh, Right. Well, and I mean, we are a, I mean, we're a disruptor and, and we're a disruptor of the status quo. And it's, it's, it's not, we're not a disruptor in a, in a hostile or an adversarial stance, but we do represent a vast change from the way that traditional schools have always operated. And so that's, that's scary to a lot of people. It's, um, it's threatening. Um, and I, you know, I understand it. I mean, I'm not mad about it. I understand it. And I think that we just have to stay focused on doing the best that we can in our model for the families that need us. And I think the rest of it over time will take care of itself. But yeah, certainly um, there are a lot of people out there who don't do their due diligence or they're just flat out anxious and scared about the changes that they're seeing in public education. And it's, it's almost a defense mechanism. How much of your job would you say is putting out the fires that people have set when they have no clue what they're talking about? <laughs> Probably not as much as everybody thinks. Okay. I think that everybody thinks that that's the, that's the bulk of my job. Um, it's certainly in the last um, year or so with, um, you know, these wild allegations and investigations and audits and coordination with those efforts, I believe, with news media um, to help, you know, gen up next negative coverage. Um, you, I've, certainly it's become a, a larger part of my job, but really the, the, the bulk of my job is just telling the epic story and making sure that our internal audiences of staff and faculty, which have grown exponentially, and our families and our students and um, our partners, our community partners, that everyone has access to um, the information that they need to do their jobs or to function well um, in an informed manner in our model. That's really the bulk of my job, and it's the it's the part of it that I love the most. Um, but yeah, putting out fires um, that's, that's 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 something else I have to do from time to time too. So I've, I've got a list of misconceptions and I'll just name a, a few and then you give me, you know, set me straight. These okay. are, these are misconceptions that have come from the parents in that have their kids enrolled in our school asking right. our teachers, what about, what right. about, or I read. And so talk to me about, uh, here, the first one is schools will lose funding if their kids enroll in Epic this year. Right. Yes, that's that's wrong. Um, it's wrong because as a charter school, we receive no local funding at all. 
So if you reside in, and, and say, you know, I'm just going to throw out, you reside in Moore and you transfer to Epic, um, all of the dollars that are going to uh, the local dollars that go to more public schools stay there. They do not come with the child to, to us. We also don't ever get any of that bond money. That stays right there in the local district. So all those local dollars are still intact for the school district, even if a student transfers out. Then with the state funding, you know, people have um, indicated that with the huge influx of enrollment that we're getting this year, that it's going to devastate some school districts and that, that they'll go under because their state dollars are, are, are going to be shifting to us. That also isn't true because state funding for schools is based upon the highest of your last three years of enrollment. So if, for instance, a, a school district a lot of students from that school district did come to us this year. The state's still going to be basing their funding on what was your highest enrollment the last three years. And that's been a mechanism in state school finance law for decades. And it was put there because at the time there was a lot of people moving from the rural areas into the city areas. And so that highest of three years enrollment for state funding has been in place for a long time. And, and we know some of these families that are coming to us this year are going to go back to their school district maybe next year. They just need a, a quality distance learning plan uh, program for this year. And so we, we're not going to be hurting those school districts' state funding. Now, if they were seeing enrollment declines prior to this year because of other reasons, um, you know, that's not necessarily something that's our fault or something that we can, um, you know, remedy for them. Um, but it's also still, it's the highest of the last three years of enrollment. It won't be this year. So families should pick the school, whether it's us or it's something else, um, that they feel like meets their child's needs for this year or beyond this year, um, and not worry about the funding. I mean, I always say that, Schools are not entitled to students. Students are entitled to having a quality education. Awesome. Uh, what do you say to the, the misconception or the myth that Epic teachers never see their students? Oh, wow. <laughs> For all the Epic teachers out there who are listening to this, I bet they are like, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, our teachers are busy. Um, they... And, Somebody told me this once, and I think it was, it was probably she's she's listening. I think Christy Rich told me this story, um, who is a teacher of ours in the greater Oklahoma City area for the listeners. But that you know, she was often the last teacher out of her brick and mortar building when she worked for a brick and mortar district, and she was often escorted to her car by the janitor. And she had told me, she was like, that dynamic has not changed now that I'm an epic teacher. I still work long hours and I devote um, my day to interacting and serving my children. The difference is now I just get compensated appropriately for that. I'm not making the same amount of money as somebody who raced to their car at, at three o'clock and I'm, I'm working at my desk till six or seven. Now she's compensated for that, that determination, that extra, you know, that extra magic that she's giving her, her students through our performance pay model. But um, now our teachers are interacting every day through video conferencing, one-on-one -on -one physical meetings, texts, calls, everything. Um, and they are the backbone of this organization, and we sure do love them. 
Awesome. What do, what do you have to say about, uh, and I've heard this one in the media as well, um, Epic kids are behind when they leave Epic. They, they go back to their brick-and-mortar schools behind yeah. the curve. Yeah, we hear that one a lot. And, you know, we benchmark the kids, and all of, all of the Epic educators listening to this know that. We benchmark the kids as mo- as the minute that they come into our model. And we find that they are one or more year, one or more grade levels behind when they come to us. And yeah. so um, our mission is to take them where they are and to close the gap over a period of time. We know you don't close a gap in a, a month or two. Um, and our peers in traditional schools can't close the gap in a month or two either. It takes time. Um, but our mission is to take them where they are, close the gap, and get them across the finish line and a high school diploma in their hands. Now, distance learning, as everybody found out this spring, isn't for everybody. And so some people come into our model and think, hey, this is, this is what I need. And typically within a short period of time, figure out, no, this doesn't work for me. And so if they go back to their school district, say 30, 40 days after they've been in our model, and their school district claims that they're behind because of Epic, I think everybody can see right through that. They sure. were behind when they came to us. They were only here for a short period of time. And they're going back to you with the same learning deficiencies that you sent them to us with. So, um, and, I, and, and I don't say that to be adversarial or, or you know, or mean. Um, there's lots of reasons why a child might be behind that has nothing to do with the school district. They maybe have suffered trauma um, in the home. And there's, there's all kinds of reasons why that they're behind that's not the fault of the educator in the traditional district or the educator in the Epic model. Um, but the bottom line is that the vast majority of the kids who are coming into Epic are one or more grade levels behind. You know, that is one of the, the misconceptions that I take uh, great passion in trying to explain. And Sal Khan of the Khan Academy Learning Platform has a book called The One World Schoolhouse. And he talks about just our children's brains being like Swiss cheese in some capacity. And there are just holes. And I was a kid who was held back in the fourth grade. I didn't need an entire year in the fourth grade. Again, I needed a model where I could move at my own pace. And if I had been awarded the ability to work in June and July and August uh, to catch up on the skills I might not have had in the same pace that other kids had had them, versus being held back and then getting into trouble and then getting into more trouble. Uh, you know, who knows what would have happened. But but um, filling the gaps is one of the things our model has all teachers doing. We right. uh, benchmark those kids. And not only do we teach the on-grade level standards like we're required to by law, but we do go back and we try to fill in those holes with scaffolding and with a one-on-one setting it's so much easier to do in this world than in the, the brick and mortar classroom. So absolutely. And, 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 you know, a, a child may came to come to us and is one or more grade levels behind in one subject, but they're excelling in all the other subjects. And the great thing about our model is they can advance. They can be accelerated in those subjects that they do well in. And that builds their confidence and, you know, doesn't make them feel like a failure. And then, as you said, you know, get more, um, have more time, um, go at a different pace at the subject matter that's maybe giving them a little bit more difficulty. Um, and 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of what we do. And like for you, I mean, gosh, I struggled in math my entire life, but excelled in English and history and the, the liberal arts. And if I had been able to go to a school where I had more time um, and could go at a slower pace for math, I would have gotten those concepts that just would have taken me a little bit longer um, than some of the other classmates that I had. So yeah, I, I, I would have done well in our model too. Okay, how about the misconception that we give a thousand dollars cash to parents when they enroll? Oh wow, well, yeah, yeah, that would be <laughs> that would be illegal and warranting an investigation if that were what we do. But that's not what we do. Um, you know, it's a it's it's called a fund because it's the learning fund because it's a fund that it's a way of budgeting, if you will, the the charter management organization of of how much resources do you do you kind of. Assist you know, allocate for each child, um, you know, cause like in a brick and mortar, it's all standardized. Um, you know, they're investing in an app, uh, in a football program that maybe only benefits say 40 kids. Um, and everybody is kind of paying for that football program. Um, but you know, Tommy might be a, a, a champion karate, you know, um, athlete and he would like to have, PE and that. So in our model, um, there is a fund, if you will, that's um, allocated per student so we can track. Um, and, and the CMO is, is responsible for the learning fund. So it's really the CMO tracking that we are spending the same amount on every child. And so that learning fund is used for their technology if they need technology, um, or it can be used for athletic opportunities, fine arts opportunities, supplementary learning opportunities, but they all are given, um, you know, a base of a thousand dollar investment in, in, in them. And, and that's not including the, the educators and everything else. That's an investment that goes to their education as well. But yes, nobody has written a check. Nobody gets any money. Um, it's really more of an allocation type of accounting system to make sure that we are um, investing equally in all of our kids and that they are able to personalize that investment in them. Awesome. Uh, what do you have to say to the argument that Epic is a public school when we want to be and a private school when it suits us? Mm, yeah, I'm not even sure I understand that. I mean, charter schools in not just in Oklahoma, but in America are public schools. Um, we operate under the same um, accountability system as all public schools in Oklahoma and the same federal accountability system that all schools in America operate under. Um, you know, private schools don't have to do that. They don't have to test their kids. They don't have to, um, they don't really have to do anything. They don't have to go through an accreditation. So I'm not quite sure I understand that argument. I think maybe it's, 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 it's kind of maybe lobbed at those who, who just don't like charter schools and just don't agree with public school choice yeah. in general. The only other time I've heard this come up is when it talks about, uh, when people have talked about charter schools turning away students. And I just, this year especially, <laughs> have to laugh you know, we've gone from 1,100 students 10 years ago to where do we sit now? Right. Uh, I, as of this morning, I think we were around a little over 42,000, but I, I, yeah, I know. 
And but, so you know, we don't also, turn away like, that, that's kids. a misconception about charter schools in general because it's not legal in Oklahoma to deny um, enrollment for arbitrary reasons. You can deny enrollment if you you're like if your if your school has the capacity for X amount of students and you reach that capacity, then you can you can put students on a wait list, but you can't just deny them enrollment just for the sake of denying them enrollment. And we are an open enrollment school, as you know, and so we don't deny enrollment to anybody unless we find out that, you know, they're not of school age that we could serve them. Perhaps they're too old or too young or they don't live in Oklahoma. So obviously we can only serve residents of Oklahoma. So just for basic reasons like that, would we ever deny enrollment? Um, so a lot of news has revolved around our graduation rate. What do you have to say about Oklahoma having one of the lowest graduation rates in the entire district? I mean, in an entire state. Well, it's actually improving um, every year. Um, we, I think it was it was like a one hundred percent improvement um, the year before last. We don't have the numbers from the class of twenty twenty yet. But it, it also goes to the fact that most of the high school students that come to us, who transfer to us, are what are considered off cohort when they come to us. Um, they were in danger of not graduating at the previous school because they were behind in credits, and they're still behind in credits when they come to us. And so if you look at our five- and six-year graduation rate, it's, 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 it's a lot better. I mean, we're getting a lot of those kids over the finish line let's be honest, they weren't going to get over the finish line at their previous school district. So the day that they transferred to Epic was the day they counted against our graduation rate because the state looks at the four-year rate. Um, But again, we're not denying enrollment. We're accepting the challenge of we'll get you over the finish line if you do the work and we get them over the finish line. But yeah, I mean, they're coming to us off cohort. And if you look at the students who are with us all four years of high school, our graduation rate is the same as the state average. Um, but where we take the hit are the students who are coming to us who are counting against our graduation rate from the day that they start with us. And that's why we don't really focus a lot on it. We know our critics like to use that to um you know, to sling a little bit of mud against us, if you will. Um, but that's the reason. That's the, that's the truth. That's the, that's, that's the, the myth dispellation. I don't know if that's even a word, but yeah, that, that, that is the reality of the situation. I, again, uh, was a high school dropout. There was no stinking way I was coming back to school at 18 years old and hanging out with a bunch of 17 year olds that, I mean, that's just the, the mindset of a teenager, but uh, you couldn't have convinced me. So again, I think right. if there was something like Epic, uh, I wouldn't have had to, to get that GED to, you know, continue schooling. So my dad was actually in the same situation. He, he was, um, he's, he's passed, but he was a high school dropout. He was, and he was in the second semester of the senior year when he dropped out. Um, but he had a teacher that bullied him and, he just couldn't take it anymore and just said, I've had enough and dropped out and always regretted that he did it and that he had to go back and get his GED. But yeah, if we had existed then, my dad could have enrolled in Epic for his second semester of his senior year, been bully free, 
and walked across the stage like his friends got to do. So yeah, we hear all kinds of stories like that, like your situation, my dad's situation, because some people are kind of like flabbergasted. Why would somebody transfer their junior or senior year? And there's lots of reasons why. Right. Um, so another, another misconception, and you kind of touched on it a minute ago, uh, was that high school credits won't be accepted because we're not accredited. Colleges hesitate to accept Epic students. Is this real? No, it's not. We have students, we have graduates that are in Ivy League universities, West Point, um, University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State University, you name it, we've probably got a graduate going to that school. So that is just crazy time. Um, if you earn the GPA and you do the work, just like in, in any other school district, you will be rewarded um, by having your opportunity in schools of, of, of colleges of choice, state colleges, um, post-secondary workforce training. Um, you can do anything that you, you want to do. Um, and we have students who are in career tech and um, encourage that. Actually, we, we want more of our kids to go to career tech. Um, and we are encouraging our kids to do concurrent enrollment when they're in high school as well and taking some college coursework. So in that respect, we're no different than a traditional brick and mortar school. And, you know, there might be some brick and mortar schools out there, maybe who are in rural areas where their students don't have as much access to career tech and concurrent. Um, but that's not the case with Epic. Yeah. I just think, uh, so I was a teacher. My husband is a teacher here. Um, I had a family. They are now his family. Uh, one of the kids graduated from a career tech program, uh, working on cars and he now works in kind of a, a high end body shop that takes, um, little sedans and turns them into like souped up, uh, fast and furious. Yeah. Uh, his sister is in the Pantene uh, Beauty School uh, out in Las Vegas, and uh, their youngest brother uh, just got into TU this last right. school year. That's awesome. Everything and, you know, the, the Department of Career, Oklahoma Career Tech Department, they have some wonderful stats out there that show um, the the value of their certification programs. And, you know, because college isn't for everybody. But um, some of the highest paid, you know, professionals in our society have, you know, received quality workforce training like you get at career tech and high tech jobs. And I mean, they're making um, really good money. And so that's the reason why we're encouraging more of our students who maybe don't see themselves going to college. and, And that's just not part of their goal. It's like getting those um, those earning statistics in front of them and showing them what you can do in high school at career tech. And then, you know, a lot of those programs, you have a year or two after you graduate high school, but you know, electricians, plumbers, I mean, they make very good money. Yeah. Add to that, uh, starting a YouTube channel where you're showing how to do all those things. Absolutely. It's just compounding at, at that point. Absolutely. Okay, last topic uh, as far as, and and I'm sure that there are more, but um, ghost students boosting our enrollment. Um, Yeah. We we looked into this. We've had tons of outside people looking into this. Where do we we rest on the ghost student situation? Well, you know, it's unfortunate that that 
still like a lot of reporters, if they do a story about us, it's, it's kind of an industry practice to to draw on the reporting of some of your peers and previous stories. And so you still see in, in stories that, you know, we're under investigation for ghost students. And the truth about that is, is the OSBI got an affidavit because they thought that one teacher had one ghost student and um, they raided that teacher's home and, and got her computer and were able to find out within 24 hours that that was completely false that there are no ghost students in EPIC. There are so many safeguards in the system with the state and the federal government that, that that's just not even possible to be able to carry out over a period of time if there was an enterprise that, that wanted to engage in that type of fraud. And that's certainly not EPIC, but we have no ghost students. And I, our teachers know it. I mean, they know these are real kids that they're going and educating every day. But yeah, I mean, that, that ghost student um, a myth and allegation was really frustrating and upsetting. And um, quite frankly, if you saw the ring video of how those agents raided that poor teacher's home, it's, it's, it's really sad. No. And I mean, I would be traumatized as a, as an adult, but those kids were in the home. Absolutely. I would have been as well. Mm. Uh, any other myths or mis- misconceptions that you've you know, got? There's just one. There is one I, I, there's, that I'd like to talk about in that there are some parents who think that, and we touched on this a little bit, that if they come to Epic and then they decide they want to go back to their brick and mortar because this just isn't working for them, that they won't be able to do that. And that's not true. As long as you reside in the legal boundaries of a school district, they have to take you because you're paying taxes for that school district. So we don't want to encourage anybody to go back to their school district. We hope that they find a home permanently with us. But if we don't end up being what they need, they can go back to the school district that they are legal residents of. And then the other myth that's out there is that if you decide you're going to enroll in EPIC, you have to sign paperwork at the local school district that says you're homeschooling. You're not homeschooling. You're, you're transferring to another public school. So you don't have to sign anything at your local school district, and you shouldn't. You just enroll in EPIC, and then the records are exchanged between your district and us, and you don't need to worry about that. And then, I unfortunately, I heard of it one school district who was telling um, their parents that were transferring to us that we're going to test you when you come back. And if you are testing below grade level, we're going to put you in a lower grade level, even though you're in the right grade level now. And that just, that broke my heart to think that there were school districts that were trying to scare parents like that. If you earn the academic credits for your grade level at Epic, you will be put in the proper grade level if you transfer back to your local school district. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting. And if they don't do that, then you've got legal action. Yeah. Um, but those would be the two biggest myths. And I don't want to suggest that that's what all school districts are saying, but we've seen screenshots and emails to know that there's there's one or two out there that have been saying that. So it's really important for people to have the facts. I know a few years ago there was a district uh, – because a lot of my students were impacted, uh, they were getting phone calls saying that they were reported as dropouts because they were enrolled in our school. And 
and I don't know why a district would would add more dropouts to their dropout rate. Uh, no, but we were having I, I don't either. Fifth that, graders. I mean, that's that's that, that 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 doesn't that's crazy. They yeah. weren't dropping out. They were transferring. Yeah. We were having and You're right. Why would you make your dropout rate look bigger than it really is? Right. That's, Unless it was a, a misconception that they wanted to identify for kids right. bullying right. them back into their district. Absolutely. Unfortunately, that, that might be the reason. It's a fun conversation. Well, that is all the time we have for today. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit the like button and subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified each time a new episode drops. If you're a returning listener, you should rate the podcast or leave us a comment next week where we're rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.